Welcome to another lovely episode of Guy Live B2B Jam Session. I hope you're well, no matter where you're tuning in from today. Shout out to if you're tuning in from Oakland, California, or the Bay Area, or internationally, because I know we usually have an amazing international audience. Today, I am joined by a phenomenal author, business leader, personality, influencer, whatever you want to call it, Mrs. Robbie Kelman-Baxter, who is the author of the best-selling book, the forever transaction. She's a speaker consultant with more than 20 years, not 10 y'all, 20 years of experience providing strategic business advice to major major organizations, including Netflix, Consumer Reports, LinkedIn, as well as leaders in industries, including software as a service, go SaaS, media, retail, consumer products, healthcare, financial services, and hardware. She works across the spectrum. And in the past 10 years, her company, Peninsula Strategies, has advised over 100 organizations who are subscription-based and growth organizations on their growth strategy, as well as how to build a sustainable subscription-based business. And today, we're going to be diving deep on her background and her most recent book, The Forever Transaction, her thoughts on how businesses should be adapting due to COVID-19, and where she says sees business going. I'm really going to dive deep with her on this idea around forming a relationship with your customers through your subscription-based business. So I'm excited because we're a subscription-based business a guy, so I have a wealth of questions I have for Robbie. With that said, I want you all to show love. If you have any questions for Robbie, please show love in the comments. Ask away. We're going to be taking your questions. We're going to have a rich conversation with you. In addition, if you're going to love this episode, please share with your networks. Don't be afraid to tag Robbie and I in a post. We're going to definitely engage with you, and we're going to reshare it with our network. With that said, let me bring on Robbie. Hey, Robbie. Hey, Tim. How are you? Doing well. How are you holding up? (laughs) It's a it's a crazy, crazy time that I'm sure we're all going to look back on and say, you know, what the heck was 2020? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's true. I mean, Kanye is now trying to run for president, which is even weirder. I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. Anything is possible. Robbie, I would love for you to share a little bit with us about your background and how long you've been in this space of helping companies create the forever transaction with their customers. Yeah, sure. So um, first of all, shout out to the Bay Area also. (laughs) So um, I'm I'm almost a lifer in the Bay Area. I I grew up in Menlo Park, California. Um, My dad and mom moved here from Brooklyn when I was four years old, uh, kind of in search for a a better life and uh, definitely found it. Certainly the weather here is a lot better than than our friends in New York. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And and, uh, about, well, when my when my second daughter, I'm I'm a mom. I have three kids, and um, when my second daughter was born, I got laid off when I was on maternity leave, hmm. and um, which stinks, but is legal. And <laughs> I said, okay, I'm going to start a consulting practice so that I can be in control of my own career. And pretty soon after I started consulting, I realized, you know, either I need to build out a firm or I need to hmm. develop expertise in a particular area. And so I was looking and thinking, like, what would be that area of expertise? What's something that is so interesting to me that I could become an expert in it and devote a lot of time to it, but also big enough that I could build a business around it, but also small enough that I could credibly say I'm the expert on something. Mm. And um, so I spent like a year, 
year and a half just doing consulting gigs for, you know, it kind of in my area of expertise around, you know, you talked about SaaS and uh, working with SaaS companies uh, and strategy because I'd, I'd come out of the strategy world and, and product management world. And then I got Netflix as a client. Wow. And the light bulbs just went off in my head. I was like, okay, first of all, I love Netflix as a consumer, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Three DVDs out at a time, never running out, no late fees, don't have to run back to Blockbuster and return it in the middle of the night because you don't want to get the late fee the next day. Um, all of that goodness. But then I, as a, as a business person and kind of a business nerd, I really geeked out over the business model. Mm. Um, you know, that, that they did one thing really, really well. Yeah. They had this really interesting forever promise. I, I didn't call it that at the time, but there was only one thing they did. They said, we're going to give you professionally created video content. We're going to do it with cost certainty, meaning no late fees, no extra fees. And we're going to do it in whatever way is most efficient at that time. So mm. 15 years ago, that was three DVDs out at a time filled with somebody else's content. And today that's Netflix proprietary content delivered uh, through streaming technology over pretty much any device from, you know, your your phone to your smart TV to, you know, through your gaming console. And like I just I started looking for other businesses that were doing that yeah. and trying to understand, like, what are the metrics and, and how do you think about it and and which businesses can do it, and which can't. And people started calling me at the same time and saying, hey, we heard you work with Netflix. We want to be the Netflix of our space. We want to be the Netflix mm. of software. We want to be the Netflix of hardware. We want to be the Netflix of news, bicycles, dental pain management <laughs> products. You know, like you name it, Tim. Yeah. And somebody was like, we can be the Netflix of this space. Yeah. And so that's when I really started trying to frame out these ideas and say, okay, what, what do these companies have in common? Mm. What is different about them? And what are the key decisions that allow some businesses to enjoy recurring revenue and others fail? Yeah. So let's dive deep on that. What did you discover, yeah. <laughs> right? And what, you know, in your experience with Netflix, which you've also, you've been able to work across the gamut in terms of industries and you've worked with a lot of different companies and in your book, you actually touch on there's certain things that hold still. And I would love for you to share that with us. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the first thing is this concept of a forever transaction. So the best businesses that enjoy recurring revenue, whether or not they actually have subscription revenue, um, or they just say like, there's a lot of companies that are like, we just know that if you buy from us once, you're going to buy from us again and again and again, because you're loyal. Yeah. And what they have is a forever promise. They know who their best customer is. They understand why that customer comes to them. What is the bigger goal? So, you know, I might buy a blazer, um, from a store, but I'm not, I don't want to buy the blazer. I want to look cool for my interview with Tim. Right. And I want to look professional. I want to look appropriate. And if that store can, or, or that manufacturer can say, Hey, how do we help Robbie always look professional and look appropriate for her professional occasions? Right. I would pay them on an ongoing basis to just solve the problem for me. So, so any business can enjoy greater recurring revenue by just focusing on who's your best customer, what's the promise you're making to solve a problem, a big problem on an ongoing basis, or help them achieve a really important goal on an ongoing basis. And then take a new fresh look at your offerings mm. through that lens. That's like what they all have in common. That's like the core simplest thing that 
you know, you can be a solopreneur and do that and the yeah. light bulbs start going off, or you can be, you know, the biggest companies in the world and the light bulbs go off. Yeah. Because, because uh, I think what you touch on too, is the need to adapt over time on, are you still meeting that forever promise similar to a Netflix or a Microsoft, no matter how, as, as you get bigger, you'll have to always try to find a way to make sure you're still sticking to what made you special and what grew you to the scale that you're at. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and what happens with a lot of businesses is when they launch, they, they're really mission driven when they launch, they see the problem and they're like, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, to Right. And then they start building products and they fall in love with the products. Right. So mm -hmm. if you take a newspaper, they're like, the people in this community deserve to understand the things that are happening around them that are going to impact their lives so that they can make better decisions. Right. That's why newspapers exist. But then they fall in love with, you know, print and delivery and, you know, all the all the, um, the, the processes and the yeah. medium instead of continuing to say, wait, is newspapers being delivered to someone's house or newspapers at a newsstand? Is that still the best way to help people understand the world around them and make better decisions? Right. And obviously mm. it's not for many people, which is why we've seen the rise in, you know, all these <laughs> new news sources. Right. Digital yeah. news. Twitter, um, you know, user generated content, you know, the cost of creating and distributing content has really changed. It's gone way down. So everybody can do it. Um, and so the world is different. And we have much better choices now of how to understand the world around us, which voices to hear, um, how, how, um, how current the information should be. Mm. And so, you know, but newspapers are still selling print because of their legacy, you know, they've, they've gone from being mission driven in a lot, not all of them, but, you know, to being product centric or process centric. And that's really the problem and the tension in most businesses. And I love that you're, you're talk, talk, touching on the, on that industry, because that's a lagging industry. that's always looking to innovate. And even right now, I hate actually going online. And the first thing I do when I go to a publication site is they hit me with the ad blocker, <laughs> like block right, your ad. Right. And then it's, it's okay, sign up for our newsletter. And then after that, it's like, do you want to sign up for our newsletter? And the experience is so bad. Yeah, it's very heavy handed. It's very yeah. heavy handed. And I'm thinking, well, most of my news comes from just engaging with people who are talking about what you're reporting on social. So like, what are your opportunities for you to think about ways to innovate and bring your, your content to a social layer in a much more consumable and, you know, bite-sized fashion. And, you know, I, I love that you're talking about that industry because I feel like that industry, there's still opportunities. I think New York Times is doing a great job, but a lot of different publications are doing a horrible job in thinking about what's the consumer experience. Yeah, absolutely. And and the thing to think about, I know that there's a lot of con content creators um, that, are, that are listening right now um, of, of all sizes. And the really important thing is who, who are you sharing your content with and why are they listening to you? What is it that you're doing for them? If I listen to you, will you help me thrive in my career? Will you help me change the world around me? Will you help me get more enjoyment out of my sports fandom? Like, what is it that you're going to do for me? And then you take a step back and say, what else can I provide? What is the best way to provide that content? It might be through classes, um, a training. It might be through coaching. It might be through video. It might be through connecting fellow you know, other people that are on that same journey, whether it's that that professional journey or that fandom journey or or something else, and layering in value. A, a really interesting um, case study, if you know, on this topic is you know, Wall Street Journal's fantastic, fantastic 
paper, mm. right? Um, they have hundreds of, of reporters. They have, you know, big buildings. They have, you know, global footprint. Um, one journalist from the Wall Street Journal, Jessica Lesson, left the Wall Street Journal and started The Information. The Information is a newspaper, it's digital, that is much narrower in its scope. It really focuses on just a few of the big tech companies um, and goes very deep and takes, like they look at things like what's the org structure at Amazon, you know, and they they put their reporters on that kind of research. Um, much smaller footprint, fewer journalists, fewer resources, hmm. and yet they charge more for their publication. Same kind of journalists, right? Because they came from the Wall Street Journal. They charge, I think it's double what the Wall Street Journal charges for a subscription. The quality too. Well, yeah, but it's the same kind of people. Like yeah. they're, it's the same, theoretically, it's the same level of quality. It's just hmm. a much more precise focus on content that people really need and are willing to pay for. Mm, mm. So that focus is powerful. And, that, and th so yeah. you're older ways for, you know, organizations to think differently or for even entrepreneurs and solopreneurs to come in and, and disrupt existing. Yeah. And, you know, I actually let's touch on that because that's uh, that's something that you touch on in your book a lot. You know, what steps do you think leaders should take to building a disruption proof business model? Um, if you're, if you want to be disruption proof, um, the, the best way to be disruption proof is to have a relationship that's so close with your customers mm. that they're not looking for alternatives. And that's why, you know, right now we're seeing with subscription businesses, um, that they're enjoying much greater resilience than they're not, than they're what they, we call their episodic counterparts. They're more transactional counterparts. And there's, there's lots of reasons for it, but, but one of them is that subscription businesses are focused on the customer relationship. They're focused on that forever promise. So as things change over time, right, the organizations follow their customer. And so the customer's not looking for alternatives. The organization is carefully following the customer to help them continue to achieve that important goal. And so it's very hard for someone else to break in because the customer's not looking for it, number one, which is great. And number two, the organization is letting the customer's needs be the guide. And we're seeing this, you know, when all of this, you know, COVID stuff happened, a lot of the subscription businesses immediately pivoted, immediately, immediately. changed yep. how they delivered. Hey, we're offering online fitness now. Hey, we're not going to charge for COVID content. Hey, we're going to reimagine Zoom for the K through 12 market, right? All these things changed really fast. Um, because they're really carefully watching how their customers are using them and who's using them. You know, and one of my favorite examples of this is Salesforce, who like because Salesforce is always ready to pivot because they're so customer centric. And I mean, one of their values is, you know, customer success. And now, you know, you can easily track deals and total contract value on a mobile um, on, on a mobile app that they literally pivoted to around COVID-19. But they also developed this offering called Work.com for enterprise customers to help them adapt to COVID-19. And I think it's mm -hmm. science like that, but also another example is Airbnb, which is a great case study of, of thinking, okay, how do we help our hosts like do online, you know, um, online engagements, right? Even though that's not naturally yeah. the, the why we built our product, but we want to be able to cater to their needs over time. Yeah, exactly. Those are two great examples. I mean, what uh, LinkedIn slash Microsoft slash LinkedIn Learning have put together around, you know, how COVID's affecting the world of work is, is truly phenomenal. Um, and it's a, you know, it's such a, you know, they took a really holistic look at all of the assets they have, all of the strengths they had and said, okay, 
what is it like to be a worker, a professional in today's environment? And how do we how do we step forward with our unique strengths and how do we serve the people who are already here? Um, so I love that example. And then the, the Airbnb example, um, also a great example. You know, one of the things that I think people don't always realize is that Airbnb's members are really the property owners, right? Wow. Not not the um, vacationers or the travelers. They, they serve both, but, wow. you know, they really are optimizing their offering for people who have you know, a, a cottage or an extra room or whatever it is. And they're saying, okay, what else can you do? Because a lot of them, and they've talked about this, are depending on Airbnb, you know, for their for their income, right? They're they're not hobbyists that say, oh, you know, like the when it started, it was really like, oh, you know, I have a spare bedroom and it's fun to meet new people. Kind of like Uber, right? Oh, yeah. I have an outlook. I remember my, my my first Uber driver was like, I'm a college student and you know, I just moved here and this is so fun. I'm meeting all these new people and learning my way around and getting paid, right? Like she didn't care about the money at all. Right. Yeah. But now, like the vast majority of Uber drivers are professional drivers. Like that is how they make a living. They bought that, whatever car you're in, they bought it to drive Uber, right? Or they're renting it or accessing it. Very different. So knowing who your members are that you're optimizing your offering for. Theoretically, Uber, I don't know that they're always doing this, but they should be optimizing their offering for the drivers. Mm. Um, and, and, and certainly, you know, if you want to optimize for drivers, you need to have passengers. Uh, so they need to think about that. And then the same thing with Airbnb um, same thing with eBay, right? Know who you're serving and whose problem you're solving and who's got the goals that is willing to pay you or give you their loyalty. Yeah. You know, I, I want to really dive deep on this question with you because there's a lot going on right now across multiple industry verticals from healthcare, I mean, and um, and even fintech. Are there companies that are exciting you in terms of how they're adapting post-COVID-19 to effectively holding on to their customers? And more importantly, what industries do you think, oh my God, there's going to be huge opportunities for entrepreneurs to build SaaS-based businesses in those verticals? Yeah. So, I mean, well, so that's such a good question. There's so many things like I, I'm like, I don't like it about five times, <laughs> but, you know, a couple things to think about, particularly in this, you know, kind of content creator world, um, consumers are being forced to change their behavior about how they learn and how they interact with their communities. So like, I'll give you, you know, my mom is a good example. She's in her seventies, right? Um, you know, most mornings she would get up, go to her yoga class, um, stop at the grocery store, buy something that she would have for dinner with my dad, and then maybe um, see some friends in the afternoon. And now she's been forced. She, she wasn't looking to change her habits, but she's been forced to change her habits because she can't do any of those things anymore, right? It's not safe for her. So now she's, figured out how to stream her yoga classes and she's taken her bathroom and made it into a yoga studio with um, the shower, you know, Bikram yoga. So with the steam in the shower, she has a space heater. She has an electric blanket on the floor under her mat. Right. And she's experimented until she got it just right. And then she has her little, you know, uh, portable, you know, her laptop in the, the room with the, the instructor. And then she's doing all of her shopping through like she's tried Instacart and she's tried Amazon prime delivery and she's tried like a couple of others and you know, the local fruit market, they now deliver. And you know, she has all these, like she's figured it all out. Right. <laughs> and, and then she's figured out how to use zoom for socializing. So she and my dad, you know, put it onto their smart TV, you know, when they're friends and then they, they'll have a glass of wine with their friends and they socialize. Um, and so she has all these new subscriptions and, um, 
I don't know that she's going to go back to the old way. So she's mm. gotten over the friction of trying the new thing. So a lot of people that have digital content or digital community, the biggest problem is getting the people into the content because they're like, those people are saying, well, I like to take my classes live or I like to socialize or meet people in person. I don't really do digital. And suddenly they don't have a choice. So a lot of businesses are getting, like it's much easier to get people to try your offering now. Yeah. And it's yours to lose. Like my mom may, you know, who knows, maybe she'll go back to some of the things if it was safe again for her. But she also said, you know, it it takes me a lot less time to do my Bikram class at home than to drive there, get a spot, park, blah, 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 blah. This is way more efficient. And also sometimes it's just nicer to be alone and not have all these, you know, other people. <laughs> and my mom says, people, they're everywhere. Um <laughs> Right. So it's it's much more comfortable. It's much more efficient and it's much more convenient. Yeah. So she so if you have like a lot of businesses are seeing this big spike in, in new subscribers or new mm -hmm. members. And the challenge is, how are you onboarding them so that when things and if things go back to normal or the new normal, sure. that you're part of the new normal, that they that they say, you know, this is actually a new tool in my toolkit. You know, I never did digital news before, but this is actually great. I think I'm going to keep, I mean, I'll, I'll enjoy reading the paper when they start delivering it again, but I enjoy, you know, getting the updates at four o'clock in the afternoon and not having to wait till the next morning to, to read about it. Uh, so, so I think there's a lot of opportunity in content. There's a lot of opportunity in digital community. Mm. Um, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in e-commerce. I saw a statistic this morning that e-commerce is up 146% uh, for subscription boxes, subscription mm. e-commerce. So this is like everything from, you know, Stitch Fix to, you know, Book of the Month Club to any of the replenishment models where you get your, you know, your hair product or your, uh, you know, shavers, your razors, all of that. Everything's up 100, 146%. So, Yeah. That's a huge, and you know, I've, I've been sharing with people, I, I'm really excited about what's going on with telehealth and telemedicine. Oh yeah, that too. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, exactly. and I think healthcare is, is you know, that, so I was thinking healthcare is like the biggest space for- Such a good you know, point. Such a great opportunity for people to think, okay, what's next and how you can really form a relationship with the customer. And there's a lot of companies here in the in the, in the the Valley that have been working on um, very interesting things in the healthcare space. So Ford, I think is, is the name. And it's this company that allows you to go into the office and get a checkup. And the thing about, about them is that they kind of give you an experience with their offering. And I think they have to shift to online as well. But what, one thing that's really powerful is that it's a subscription-based model. So it's more so proactive care versus just prescriptive and reactive care. And I, you know, I've just been fascinated by what's going on in that industry because I think, you know, a lot of industries where people didn't see the opportunity before, now COVID happened, a lot of entrepreneurs are, oh, I see the opportunity. And, you know, there, there's a lot of reform happening and investors see the opportunity to invest in those industries as well. Yeah. Well, I have a question for you. Are you I'm not seeing investors investing, though. Like, mm. I'm seeing them kind of holding off and you know, looking and waiting and seeing, are you seeing something? Are you seeing some, some change in that? Is it, are they coming around now? Yeah. So with, with the people I've been talking with, it's, it's, they they're, they're, investors are definitely still investing, but it's specific sectors, right? Sectors they, I, they feel really confident about. So healthcare is a sector a lot of investors feel really confident about right now because the space is just wide open and because the, the broader conversation happening around reform in the area. So at a mm -hmm. government level, at a state level, but also the fact that the technology is there now to start building things for, for healthcare. So with telemedicine, 
the technology has been there for a while. Now it's entrepreneurs really fusing their their minds together and say, okay, how can we build a service around this right now? And I think there there are other kind of industries that um, like e-learning for one. That's one that mm-hmm. a lot of yeah. investors are investing in. A few companies have actually Coursera recently raised, I think, over a hundred million dollars in their latest round. And that's because, okay, that's reliable. That's not going anywhere. And you're seeing the yeah, shift. Yeah, Coursera is a great company. Yeah. yeah and yeah. especially so, now with online learning at all the universities being closed. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So they have all the professors. Yeah. Yeah. So they're being really selective, is what we've been seeing. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I want to I want to touch on on this because you know you talk to a lot of entrepreneurs. You've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs and business leaders. You know what are the challenges that they should be aware of if it comes to starting a subscription based business? Yeah. So if you're if you're listening and you're thinking about starting a subscription based business, um, you know and the first a lot thing of is listening. So definitely listen up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the first thing that I would say is that you can you know you can be a solopreneur and continue to be a solopreneur, like with no intention of bringing on a team and still run a really healthy seven-figure subscription business. Um, that's that's why so many solopreneurs, so many subject matter experts, thought leaders, um, creators are looking into subscription. Um, by, by going niche, by really understanding your core audience and building around them. So the, the you know, we talked about forever promise. We talked about knowing who your audience is. The next thing I'd say is understand their journey to achieve their goal. So mm. for example, let's say that you create a um, a personal finance, like you want to have a community around personal finance. So helping people save and invest money, right? And let's say that you say, well, so where does that journey start? What is the, 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 um, the uh, headline benefit that gets somebody to sign up? And what is the moment that makes somebody say, oh, you know, I think I need to join a community for, you know, being more careful with my money and more thoughtful Mm. about it. So you start there and you say, maybe that's okay. They graduated from high school or college and they're like, okay, now I have to adult. I have to be an adult. What what does that look like? I need to learn. That might be that, that moment that gets them to start. And then you want to map out the journey. What is it? What does their money journey look like from their perspective? Not from your perspective as here are the products I have, or here's the three courses I offer, but like, okay, so so now I'm going to try to adult. And the first thing I need to do is, oh, I need to get an apartment, you know, not live with my parents anymore, right? What is that What is that process? What am I going to need from a financial perspective there? What's the next thing? Oh, well, maybe I'm going to, um, oh, I have to pay off my loans. Um, I want to, you know, I want to buy a home. Up, oh, I got married. Up, oh, I had a baby. Up, oh, mm. you know, all those, you know, oh, I got a promotion. Up, oh, uh-oh, I'm out of work. What do I do now? And if you start to map out those those moments along the journey, that's going to be your guide for how to design your offering. Um, Because you want to be able to help them at all of those moments. Because from their perspective, what is that person's goal? My goal is I want to adult. I want to be a responsible adult. And I want to have financial security so that I can live the life I want to live. What are all the bumps in the road and all the pivot points in my in my life journey that are mm. going to either you know help me or hurt me on that journey? Um, so so if you're an entrepreneur right now and you're thinking about this, think about the whole journey. Why are they joining you, and what are all the moments? And then where can you best help them? And and so that they join and they're like, oh look at that, this company. You know, every time I get to a moment where I have a challenge, they seem to know they're ahead of me. They know what to do. They have I a love solution. That. I love that. And, you know, I think that the best companies do that. Apple is, you know, quality, 
all the way. They always think from the, the standpoint, okay, where, where can we take the customer experience? And the best companies really, really do that. The Salesforce, especially even in, in enterprise SaaS. I love that. That's so, and I think for early stage entrepreneurs, they often aren't thinking from the customer experience, like what's yeah. the journey? And that's so important when it comes to building a SaaS-based business. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's super important. You know, you want to be at that intersection of what's in it for the customer and what's in it for me. And the more that you can sort of think about that customer's long-term journey, um, that that is going to be your secret sauce. That is going to be your competitive advantage is understanding what they're going to need before. And, and also the funny thing is, you know, if you've ever kind of worked with a, with a niche group of people, you can almost be like a mind reader because you know what's going to come next. Like, oh, yep. you graduated from college. I bet you're going to want to, you yeah. know, pay back your loans. I bet you're going to want to get a credit card. I bet... I bet you're going to go to the apartment person, you know, the landlord, and you're going to want to rent an apartment and they're going to ask you these three questions. And they're like, how did you know? And you're like, well, yeah. you know, this is my job. I'm taking people through this journey. I'm helping them. And I know all the point, the pain points that, that you're right. going to, you're likely to see along the way. So you really have to know your community. You know what? Thank you so much, Robbie. And I want to show love to Hafsa who's saying, hey, all Thank you for doing this session. Extremely useful for me. We hope you start a business right after this, Hafsa. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Yeah. Tell us about it. <laughs> Tell us about it. You know what, Robbie? So I shared a link to the Forever Transaction actually in, in the comments. So definitely make sure to go pick up the book, you all. Robbie's book was phenomenal. I've read it as an entrepreneur. I'm still reading it as an entrepreneur. <laughs> and I think it's for it's it's for anyone who's looking to start a subscription-based business. Robbie, I want to ask, what's the next book coming out? Because there has to be another, <laughs> right? Oh, Tim, I just finished. It's like childbirth, you know? <laughs> like, give, me a, give me a few months. Uh, the book a few no, months? I'm joking. Uh, give me a few months. Yeah, I'm I'm still thinking about it. But um, you know, there's a lot of new things. You know, the, the biggest thing for me that I'm I'm thinking about now is the globalization of subscription. Um, mm. Even even five you know five years ago when the membership economy came out, um, and you know when I was writing it, I was looking for for case studies, global case studies. It was hard for me to find them, and a lot of people said, you know, oh, like they would say these blanket statements like Europeans don't believe in subscription, right? You're like, okay, that's a very mm. broad statement. You know, five years later you know, subscriptions are, are all over the world. And there's a lot that's going on there. There's there's solopreneurs, um, there's entrepreneurs in in all countries. I mean, you look at who's, um, who's listening right now, I'm amazed at kind of the global nature of the audience mm. um, and of the entrepreneurial community. Uh, so, so thinking about what has to change, um, A, if you're, you know, an American organization that's trying to go global, or if you're a local organization in a local market that is trying to build, when you when you look at the U.S. examples, because most of the examples are still still from here, um, you say, well, that wouldn't work here. You know, we have different payment structures, we have different billing processes, we have different um, cultural norms. Uh, you know, we have different kinds of stories. Like for example, in Korea, you know, most people live in apartment buildings, and most apartment buildings have a store in the lobby. Right? Wow. So any kind of e-commerce becomes almost irrelevant, you know, in, in a, if, you know, because so much can be, you know, accessed so conveniently, delivery is so easy and cheap. Um, so you, you have to think a little bit differently about what kinds of benefits would, would, a, would a Korean, a person living in Korea need versus a person living, you know, somewhere where they're geographically dispersed. Oh, can't wait to read it. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming no, out in about five years, four years yeah. and six months. 
No, that's <laughs> my current pace. Yeah, and, and it seems to be it's going to take a broader look, but also kind of come at it from a, a very objective perspective too. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, we're excited for it, Robbie. Robbie, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on this episode of God Live. You know, where can our amazing community follow you and the movement that you're creating with the Forever Transaction? Um, you know, best place is RobbieKelmanBaxter.com. Uh, that's kind of where where everything is, uh, where I hang out. Uh, yeah. I have lots of I have lots of videos there and lots of other kinds of content. Um, and um, and I'm often on LinkedIn. I'm a LinkedIn instructor, so I have ten courses here. Uh, on, on LinkedIn. And, um, you know, I'm active on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel and uh, on a Facebook, membershipeconomy.com. So easy, easy to find. Oh, thank you. Um, who is this? T-S-I-N-C-8. Uh, just oh, that's me. <laughs> oh, is that you? Okay. <laughs> thank you for that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm and, you know, LinkedIn, reach out. Uh, would love to uh, to get to know the guide app community. Love it, love it, love it. And shout out to Javon. He's going to get the last word today. Mr. Grease, thank you so much for tuning in, my brother. He's saying this is fantastic information. I'm going to try to push for your book for our next oh. opening book club read. Yay, thank you. That's so exciting. I'd love to know how it goes. And, um, yeah. <laughs> love it. And definitely reach out to Robbie to you even maybe even speak to your book club as well because i'm sure they would love that with that said yeah. Robbie, thank you so much for joining us we definitely need to have you on for a future episode what do you think oh i would love it i would yeah. love it it's so fun to talk to you comes out. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully before then <laughs> no that would be lovely that would be lovely thank you so much Robbie. we appreciate yeah. it yeah, thank you <laughs> all right talk to you soon <laughs> and that was another amazing episode from the fantastic Robbie Baxter. Please connect with her. She's amazing, brilliant business leader that I definitely look to and learn a lot from when it comes to building our business, but also what's going on in the SaaS subscription-based world. With that said, I do have another guest coming up, but it's going to be in a different broadcast. So stay tuned, stay on my page. And my next guest is also an amazing business leader and author as well, Beth Comstock. And we're going to be talking about her most recent book. Look her up, but more importantly, stick around. And we're going to be talking with her in just a few. All right, y'all. Talk to you soon.